Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. get into the word this morning. Um, I want to pray for Davey. Davey's here, is he? Where are you, Davey? Come on up. Come on up. Um, and, and our elders and our team, Grant, come on up. Get around this guy. Davey um, has been part of our church probably for about 17 years now. I was just saying I remember the day he arrived. But he's been on staff with us for 10 years. Got married last year to Helen. And he's a little baby due now in the in December, but he's moving on um, from staff, still staying in our church family, but has got a new job. He's an engineer by trade, so uh, um, so he's he's left. Actually, he left on Friday. David, let me get my tissue. David, <laughs> um, left on Friday. But um, David's been uh, he's he's been uh, an amazing asset to us here on staff. And David's one of those people who goes after the ones. Um, that was his, his main ethos. He went after the ones that probably a whole lot of people wouldn't have done. Um, and that's what we wanted to honor him for. So we just love you to... Would you, would you stand with me? Please, and if, you, if you feel comfortable, please your, raise your hand just to words. And we just love to pray him and pray over him this morning. I want to say thank you, David, on behalf of the church. Thank you, thank you for all the service and all that you've given to us. We appreciate it. Look forward to... Um, yeah, continuing on with us in church family and hell and your new baby. So, uh, Lord, we just want to thank you for David. We want to yes, thank you Lord. for this man. Yes. We want to thank you for his service to the church, Lord, even over the years and employment. Yeah. We thank you for him. We thank you for what he's brought. And, Lord, we just pray for the lives that he's touched. We think of those ones, Lord, that he's went after and went after and went after. And Lord, we just uh, pray, God, that you would just bless him. Yes. And Lord, for this new season of his life, for him and Helen, and as they prepare for their new baby to come into the world, Lord, I pray that um, you would just bless him and you'd yes. anoint him. I pray, God, that you would bless this new job. Yes, I pray that you'd go with him in it, yes, Lord, Lord, that, Lord, he would carry your uh, heart and your blessing. I pray, Lord, that he'll find even in the, yes. the new employment, Lord, that he'll still go after the ones. Amen. Um, Lord, and he'll seek those out, Lord, that maybe others wouldn't. Yes, and so, God, we just want to say a massive thank you, yes, thank you to Davy this morning and pray your blessing and anointing upon him yes, in Jesus' name. In Jesus Amen. Amen. Can we give him a wee round of applause? Yeah. Bless you, Davy. Oops. What that was. Um, great. I uh, uh, really mean that sincerely, Davy, that God will honor and bless you um, in your new job. I've sent to Davy on uh, Thursday. We had a lunch for him. I said, I don't know who I'm going to get talking to about cars anymore. Um, Davy and I share a bit of a passion for cars. September 2018, September. I know that some of you aren't even current about 2018. All the mums are just thinking, it's September. <laughs> And um, kids are back to school and all of that and a little bit of schedule back into uh, uh, and system back into your, into your life, which is wonderful. Um, but with September, we, we always look at vision and this is sort of like a pre-vision talk. I just want to try and not just motivate you, but to allow the 
presence of God to penetrate your spirit as we set ourselves up for Vision Sunday um, next Sunday. Now, um, you're probably all aware of the little phrase that a picture paints a thousand words as it also launches a ship. Is that what it says? Something like that. But it paints a thousand words. It actually was coined way back in 1927, believe it or not, by some guy called Frank Brenham or something like some weird name. But anyway, um, but it's been used probably hundreds and thousands and millions of times since, since that. A picture paints a thousand words. And what I want to do this morning is I want to try and paint you a picture um, now, I want you to tell me what you think when of some pictures on the screen. I want you to tell me what you think when you see this picture. You can shout out, all right? There's no right and wrong answers, all right? So I want you to tell me what you think when you see that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, strike, mayhem. Interesting, isn't it? What, what about this one? Class. Luxury. Um... Okay, what about this one? Some of you are thinking of going there right now, aren't you? Um, well, well, what about going here? What does it say? Budget. What about this one? You'll like this one. What about this? Who all in here ever had a Nokia phone? Put your hand up if you ever had a Nokia phone. Take a wee look around, look at the hands. Right, put your hands down. Put your hand up if you've still got a Nokia phone. They missed the boat, didn't they? Missed the boat. Um, interesting, isn't it, when they had to coin the market, but that's a sermon for another day. What about this one? Somebody in the first service said me, Phil. It's my car. Um, I like I have my formula on speed, enthusiasm, excitement. Yeah. What about this one? What does that say? Old. I was telling them in the first service, my first car was a van. Um, my dad bought it from the post office. It was a Morse Minor van. It had tires this width. And uh, I smashed it. I, I crashed into a tractor and poured it down uh, in the rain. The tractor pulled out in front of me. I braked. And because the tires were so skinny, it went faster. <laughs> went faster with the wheels locked than it did with them turning. So um, that put an end to that car. And this is true story. This is true. I didn't tell this in the first year, but this is true. My dad, my dad was a rover man, so he drove rovers, and he had a 3.5 rover. And my brother, Kenny, I rang home and said, look, if Christ the van, radiators burst, yeah, and, I, and will you come and tow my home? He came. He came. And he attached me to my dad's 3.5 V8 rover. And we were coming over the Carn Bridge. He was in 115 miles an hour. <laughs> And I was in the Morse Minor. <laughs> and I had vibrations running through my body that I still remember to this day. So when, he, when he pulled into the yard, I thought I was going to die. When he pulled into the yard at home, he just got out of the car and ran. So anyway, what, what, I, wanted, what I wanted to do this morning is paint a bit of a picture for you. Because pictures do say something to us. They, 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 they take our minds all all different kinds of places. I don't know whether you ever pull into a place and you, it's maybe a place that carries a memory and all of a sudden you think, I remember Laurie and I were at 
Tully Moore on Friday evening. We went up with the bikes to Tully Moore. And, and you know, you're driving to Tully Moore, and I remember camping there when the kids were, her kids were all small, and all kinds of memories come to your mind and pictures of a way of doing this. And so what I wanted to do this morning is paint a picture from the Bible, probably one of the most profound stories in all of the Bible that, that God said, Jesus actually prophesied himself that every time the gospel would be preached, that this story would be told. Everybody would picture this, this story. It's found in Mark 14. So if you want to open your Bibles, I didn't bring my little book, but if you want to open your Bibles, open an app and a phone. I'd love you to follow on. I don't have it on the screen, so I'd like you just to follow along. Mark chapter 14. Um, let's read the first nine verses together, all right? So phones open, apps open, Bibles open. Let's go. It was now two days before the Passover. That makes it Wednesday. Um, Passover was Friday. So it's a Wednesday, Mark, interestingly, tells us this. Um, and, and it's the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, Mark does a funny little thing here in the first couple of verses. The theologians call it a Markian sandwich. And what Mark does right throughout his book, if you're, uh, we, we didn't maybe get into the depths and nitty-gritty of the theology of Mark. We taught loads on it. But Mark has this little habit of opening a door and then going back to show you a little bit about what happened in that door. Again, theologians call it his sort of sandwich idea. And what he's doing is he opens the door in the first two verses of Mark, and then he jumps back three or four days to tell you a little story about what happened. So he's telling us it's Wednesday. It's the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus is going to die in, 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 in days, um, literally, and so Mark tells us this in the first two verses. It says, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking now to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the, from the people. And then he goes back. He goes back about four days, and he tells us a little story about what happened when he was in Bethany. All right? So he's back four days. He's back now to the previous Saturday. All right? And he's saying, While he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. So, so here's what's happened. It's two days to go to, to Passover, and, and three or four days ago, we do you hear what happened? Jesus is in Bethany in the house of Simon, some of your versions will say, who was a leper, um, and he was reclining at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Um, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Worship is a beautiful thing. Worship and exaltation of the Savior is a beautiful thing. He said, you will always have the poor with you. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Wow, a little priority statement in there, isn't there, for those of us who are involved in ministry? You will always have the poor, and you can do what you want with them whenever you want, but you won't always have me, all right? There are moments in time where we need to give to him. She has done what she could. I love that little phrase. Uh, that little phrase, she has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I said to you, wherever this gospel, here's the prophecy, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world what she has done will be told. This is the picture that Jesus is painting. Wherever you go, wherever the story is told, this is the picture. You'll see 
this will be told. Now, um, Mark is showing us, and it's a bit like when Mark opens his, opens his chapter in 14, I know it wasn't written in a chapter, but when he says those first two verses, he's telling us that people really want to kill Jesus. There's people who really hate him. But then he jumps back three or four days to say, now, while there is people who really hate him and want rid of him, there's some people who, who love him incessantly. There's some people who actually love him with such a passion that they allow it to rearrange the order of their lives. And I'm going to tell you about one this morning. And, and the picture is so powerful that over the next 2,000 years, every time the gospel is told, I want people to picture what she done. I want their, their adoration and their worship of me to be as extravagant as this picture. So um, sometimes we, we, we think whenever we, we, we read about um, Jesus and the, and the um, Pharisees, we think that Jesus hated the Pharisees, but he didn't hate them. He loved them. He loved them powerfully. Now, he challenged them, and he challenged them quite brutally at times, but he loved them all the same. And so today, our text is about, about priority, about, about love, about sacrifice. A bit like what Paul said when he wrote this verse in, in Romans 12, 1, when he said, I beseech you, therefore, I'm begging you that, that you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then he says, it's the least you could do for him. It's your reasonable service. Now, here's the context. Jesus, as I said, is in the last week of his life. He's on the way to Calvary. All right. He's at Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. It's a place that he loved to go. It was a sort of little getaway place in the village of Bethany near Jerusalem. And, um, and, and this is where he had raised Lazarus. Just six months previous to this, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's having a meal in Simon, who was a leper. He couldn't be a leper now because he, if he was a leper, he couldn't invite everybody to his home. He'd have to live in the outskirts of the city and ring a bell and declare himself to be unclean. So he's no longer a leper. Now that leads to a little assumption. Some assumptions are wrong. Some assumptions are okay. All right. It leads me to a little assumption that leprosy being incurable, it would probably be proper to maybe assume that Jesus had healed Simon of his leprosy. I, I, I can't figure any other way. And, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is what the meal's all about. Maybe this is why they're having a bit of a celebration meal um, for this incredible thing. They're having this celebration meal um, to celebrate. And, and it's interesting because Jesus is sitting at the dinner table. And when you, when you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll find that he sat at loads of tables. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees and the, tech, or the, Pharisees and the religious leaders called him a wine-bibber and a glutton. <laughs> interesting, isn't it? He, he, was a, he was a friend of publicans and sinners. He, he loved sharing at his, his table. And in this culture, probably something similar to ourselves, in this culture, when you shared a table, it said quite a bit. When, when you shared a table with someone, the first thing it said is, I accept you. You're part of my friendship group. I accept you. That's the first thing it would have said in this culture, probably, as I say, it says the same in our culture. And secondly, intimacy was involved. There's always intimacy when you eat with someone. You get to know someone when, you, when you're eating and they're... You know, the way they eat, and better not go into that. To the you know. All right, okay. Um, the, so, so there's something about this. And if you study the Gospels outside 
the disciples getting together and outside feeding 4,000 and 5,000 and all of that, you'll find six meals that Jesus set around. Now you do your homework and see if I'm wrong, but uh, I didn't know this before, just studying this in the last week. I found that he sits at six meals. Um, and the meals are very interesting, actually. Whenever I studied the meals, I found that three of the meals were with Pharisees and leaders, and three of them were with publicans and sinners. Now, some of you might say, well, that's a bit of a coincidence. I tend to think not. I choose to think not, because it's a pattern, you see. Jesus is showing that he loves all mankind. And, he, and, and again, I say some people think he didn't love the religious leaders, but he did. And, and sometimes we have little scales, even subconsciously. We, we, we put people in our little scale system. Well, they're, they're, they're a really nice person. They're not so nice. They're, they're a well-to-do person. They're not so well. They're really far from Jesus, and they're not so far from Jesus. And, and we have this little scale that goes on in our minds. And, and it's kind of interesting, actually, because... Uh, let me just show you this, if I can. Um, back whenever I was a boy, um, whenever I was a boy 50 years ago, my, my, I grew up in the Brethren, and my denomination back then had series of meetings, all right? And they would put up a little, um, some of you will remember this, they would put up a tent or sometimes mostly a portable hall and they would go into it. And, and I preached in these as a, as a young man too. We used to, me and my brother, my oldest brother, Nori, Chloe's granda had a, had a caravan. We bought a big old caravan, got it out. It would hold about 30, 40 people. We went to the dairy, all crossroads and different places, did all these series of meetings. So I was that soldier. And, um, and we would do these series of meetings. We would say, we're going to do three weeks meetings. And the end of the third week, one of two things happened. Either nobody had got saved and you knew you couldn't quit to somebody did. Or number two, you use this little line, you just feel like there's the spirit stirring and we need to go on, we'll do another week. And then we did another week. 26 weeks later, true, this is true, Bill, they would go on for 20, 25 weeks and I would go to those, I was taken to those every night of the week bar Saturday. So Sunday, our gospel meeting was five to six and then we had this at eight to nine on a Sunday night, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was like, please, Lord, let it be Saturday. But, um, and, and so what, what happened was we, we had this idea, which was, wasn't wrong, that if you can imagine the cross, we had this idea that if we could just get people um, through the cross, if that, that all the millions of mankind were standing at the cross, and if we could just get them to know the story, if we could just get them to pray the prayer, then you see, we could get them over the line, and we could get them to the right side of the cross. We could get them saved. And that's, that, that was the way that system worked. And it was good, and it, and it worked. And many people got saved through that. Alas, it, it, it probably still goes on a bit, but it, it it seems not to be, it seems not to work. It's not working. It doesn't seem, it's just not working. All right? And the reason it's not working is that, that people, seven, I don't know, many billion people are alive on planet Earth, and many of them are nowhere near the cross. Many of them are, are light years away from the cross. And um, I, I read an interesting article recently on, on Generation Z, which is the current generation, which is... Um, pre-millennial really. So you had the baby boomers, which I'm one of them. 
um, post-war, and then you had the baby busters, and then you had Generation X, Generation Y, you had the millennials, and now the Generation Z, which they reckon is the current generation, born anything after 1995, and mostly post-millennium. Kids who, who don't know what it's like not to have a mobile phone in the house. Some of your kids have, don't know what a world is like without the access to Google and World Wide Web in your hand. Um, who, kids who grow up in a, in a society who, who have no idea what it's like not to play electronic games. Um, and, and, and interesting, the survey said that, that what you find with Generation Z is not so much that they're rebelling against God, they're just so far from God that they have no real interest. So it's not that you're presenting them with something and they're saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not having that. There's this little motto that goes on in our generation, in the Generation Z, which is live and let live. So anybody can be whatever you want. So you can be gay, you can be transgender, you can be whatever you want. And the problem with this is, and there's loads of problems around that, if we just decide, well, you know, you, 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 know, you can say, well, I'm a dog. Well, you, well, well, I'm not a dog. You know, you, you can think you can be a hamburger and put a sesame seed bun in your head. You might look like a hamburger, but you'll not be, you're a person. And so there's this idea that if you want to decide, and, and the government are even struggling with this. Government are struggling because they're saying, oh yeah, everybody has the right to be whatever they want. But the problem with that is if the government legalized it, you see, I could go into the post office tomorrow and say, excuse me, I'm a 65-year-old woman, can I have my pension, please? And we might think that's funny, but that's true. And that's the world we live in. It's It's weird. It's weird. And so what we have now, we have these people who are so far from God, and, and between them and the cross, there's, there's all kinds of walls of culture, all right? There's walls of culture. There's, there's all kinds of pits of slurry. That they've done. And, and, and so to get someone to hear, it's not like putting your little portable hall up and preaching the gospel, and people just jump into the net. Now, it's a, now, now that's why our compassion program is, is so intense and it's so, and, and I love the stories that, that I hear back because what it is, is this story of how do we get this person over this wall and how do we get them through this pit and how do we get them to here? And, and sometimes my job's really, really easy because um, sometimes what happens is people bring um, someone to me and say, oh, I've been journeying with this person for the last six months and we've got over this and we've got through this and they'd love to give their lives to Jesus. Would you and I feel a bit guilty, and now I always say, no, 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 you do it. <laughs> you do it. You've, you've brought them to here, so you, you bring them over the line. No point in me just bringing them over the line. You do this. And so there's something. And so what Jesus was doing, Jesus was, was bringing the kingdom of God to two sets of people, three meals with the Pharisees and leaders, three meals with the publics and sinners. What was he saying? He was saying that the gospel reaches everybody. He was presenting a kingdom that reached everybody. And two sets of people, one who thought they were righteous and had the right to be there, and then this sinful community who probably know their loss and have some who have given up any hope of ever being found. And Jesus is trying to get both of them to the table because both sets are lost, you see. And this religious com community who believe they're found, but they're actually lost. And then there's these unexpected guests that never expected to get an invite to the table. These are the people from the highways and the byways. When Jesus told the story of the feast, you see, and he said, 
He said, the people who were invited, well, they just stood at the door and they didn't come in. They didn't come. They were standing here and, and, and they could have come. There was nothing to stop them coming, but they just, they, they were looking a bit more um, elbow grease. They were looking this and they were looking that. He says, I'll tell you what to do. Go out into the highways and byways and compel the people who are the down and outs and bring them. He said, because he says, you know what? They'll get in and they won't. That was just kind of... It was, you can see how this was messing with the heads of the, of the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus is reaching to both. He's pulling these two groups together. And that's why Jesus often used contrast. He told stories about a judge and a widow. He told stories about a Pharisee and a tax collector. What was he doing? He was trying to pull two worlds together. He was trying to pull people from two extremes, showing that the kingdom travels to any person. And the picture that I want to paint to you for September and for this new season is that we have a gospel that travels and it travels to any community it travels to any nation as we'll see tonight and it travels to any people any class anywhere and so this is so beautiful and so what Jesus is doing he's bringing intimacy and acceptance and 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 an interesting thing that I found when I studied these six meals this week I found that Jesus never actually brought anybody to his own home he never actually invited anybody to his own house. Now, there could have been a reason for that. He mightn't have had a house. The Bible says that foxes have holes, the birds of air of their nest. But he said the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So he mightn't have had a natural home of his own to, to do that to. But I think there was more than that. I think, I think he was willing to step outside his comfort zone. I love the stories that Nicola and people like Sylvie and all tell me about going into some of the homes and some of the Syrian homes and, and seeing just how they're treated and how they're loved on and how they're... And I love the fact that these guys go because that's, this is what it's all about. And, and you see, if we don't go, then we don't touch the margins. <laughs> I think it's great to invite people to New Church Cafe I think it's great to invite people to ignite and to, and to, to grow and to after church cafe and to life group and to church services. Those things are all good. But when was the last time we actually went? When was the last time we, we fulfilled the Great Commission and we, we did the go and sat around somebody else's table? And Jesus is doing this. He's bringing... And, and here's the thing about every meal. When you study every meal, every meal had a message. Every meal had a message. Like we quote the verse sometimes that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You've heard that verse if you've been a Christian any length of time. It was actually said around the dinner table. It was the house of Zacchaeus. <laughs> so interesting, some of, the, some of the key verses that we quote came from around somebody else's dinner table. When you read the story in Luke 15, and you, we, we know it as the story of the prodigal son, it sort of annoys me a little bit because it's not just the story of the prodigal son. In Ignite, we teach that there was two lost boys. There wasn't just one, there was two lost boys. There was one who was here, and there was one who was here. The problem was this one here didn't think he was lost, but he was. This one knew he was lost and thought he didn't deserve to come home. And Jesus is trying to... And when Jesus told the story of those two boys, there was people round about in both classes. And so the pig huggers knew, wow, this is incredible. They, that means I could come. And, and these were saying, how dare he talk like that? And so Jesus was always doing this kind of thing. And so here he is in the house of this prominent Pharisee. And this woman comes in and she, she, she in her efforts to show her depth of love and devotion and compassion, she 
which is totally misunderstood by others. She, this is why the prophecy is that, that, that we, would, we would talk about this. Whenever the gospel is preached, we would always talk about this. And I love this little phrase here. She done what she could. I want you to think three things really quickly, all right? Um, she done what she could. I think she done what she could in the area of sacrifice. She done what she could to sacrifice. This was 300 pence to tell us, the, the, the writer tells us, Mark. Um, and um, that was about a, a penny being a day's salary. It's about 10 to 12,000 pounds worth. Now, it could have been hereditary. It could, have been, it could have been something was an heirloom that was passed down. It was usually, this was used to anoint dead bodies, used for other things that we'll see in a moment or two. But this spikenard was grew from a rare plant in India, and it was very expensive, and people saved for years to provide for their own funeral and family preparations. And this woman, she comes in, and, 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 and she smashes the box it's in. Now, in this custom, what they would have done sometimes if they'd have drank from a cup, they would have smashed the cup so nobody of a lesser class would ever be able to drink from that cup. Sometimes uh, when they emptied, they would have smashed this jar to, 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 wreck, to, to, to sort of go along with the fact that it was being anointed someone who was dead, that this would never be used again. I don't think either of those customs really applied to this. I think Mary just wanted to make sure there was nothing left. She just wanted to make sure she could get every ounce and every little speck out of this jar. And she smashes it and she, she begins to pour it on his head. She gives all that she had. She extracts every drop of ointment. A bit maybe like what Paul was thinking when he wrote this, for I am ready to be poured out as a, as a drink offering on the time of my departure is at hand. This is Paul writing to Timothy just prior to his death. And, and so... I love us this morning in this area of sacrifice to think about the ultimate expression of her love and her worship. And ask yourself as you go into this season of September to Christmas to Easter, what's your sacrifice like? What, what way would that? Is there anything that you've held back? Is there something you haven't given? Is there something that you feel God has been challenging about in the last wee while that you could just give that little bit more? She gave in the area of sacrifice, but she'd done all that she could to serve. Jesus' statement regarding the sacrifice of Mary summed up the depth of her service to him. She has done what she could, what she could. She's given it all. I love this. I love this. Sometimes we're better um, givers than we are recipients, all right? And, and all the, the people who started to moan and groan around this room were people who just couldn't understand why someone would give such extravagant worship. About a year ago now, I think it was Lauren gave me the prophecy personally, which we felt was for church as well. But she gave me a prophecy one Sunday morning, just sitting, standing about where Alison's sitting at that end seat. And she said to me, Phil, I, I just feel like God saying to you this next season to, to, to waste time in the presence of God. God's calling you to waste time in his presence. Strange word, isn't it? I knew exactly what she meant. That as others look on, they'll think, what, what, what's the point of all that time? What's the point of all that expression? 
Could it not be, could it not be better energized somewhere else? Could it not be given better in another, um, uh, uh, another direction? And all these critics will come in and, and, and Jesus will say, no, 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 no. This woman gave everything she could. And the implication is clear this morning. When the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts, it's time to step up and serve God. When the Spirit of God speaks, and you see, it's really important because he says this little statement here. He says, the poor you'll always have, and you can do for the poor whenever you can. But he says, there's priorities here. And Jesus in Mark 1 gets up early, I've told you this many times, goes out to a place to pray, a lonely place. He's out there praying. The disciples come and say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you back here. Jesus says, no, I'm not going back there. I have all their places to go that the works of the Father might be made manifest. You see, Jesus only ever did the things the Father told him to do. So he wasn't just drawn to ministry. <laughs> and sometimes we, ministry actually deals, helps us deal with our own issues rather than get alone and spend time with the Father. Oh, so God, you know, I don't have time to get into your presence this morning because I have to help Mrs. Bloggs here. And, and so-and-so's moving house and have that to do and have this to do and have five phone calls to make. But God, maybe later, knowing that Oh dear, maybe if we get into the presence of God, we have to open our hearts and, and, and see into ourselves. And a lot of us don't like that. And so there's this idea that we need not ignore the impulses of the Holy Spirit as we come to serve in this new season. This verse, probably one of the verses that scares me most in the Bible, be careful lest we quench the Spirit of God. Anybody ever quench your Spirit? You say, well, how do you do that? Has anybody here ever asked somebody to do something and they didn't do it? And you've asked again and they didn't do it. Any wife in here ever asked their husband to do something and he hasn't done it? Any husband asked their wife? And then you just get to the point where you say, I'm not going to ask anymore. I'm not going to ask because it's pointless. I, I can see you smiling, but it's true. It's true. Because what happens actually, we don't actually really acknowledge it, but there's something quenched inside us. It's actually more serious than what we think it is. And I'm, not, I'm guilty of this too. Sorry, I'm not even going to make eye contact at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> um, but I did fix the shower yesterday, honey. I know you've asked about 10 times, but I did fix it yesterday. But um, so it, it, it is, it's, it's, this is what happens. And so if the Holy Spirit's moving in your life and, and moving you in a direction, you need to be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit because he'll only ask so often. All right, and how many times have we ignored those impulses? Um, we need to understand how to do that. God wants people who give everything, everything uh, in, in, in what they have. God's looking for people who will assume the place of servants. He's looking for people who will merely respond when he speaks to them. He's looking for people of whom he can say, well, they have done all that they could. You see, we can't do everything. If I had led worship this morning instead of Stevie and Chloe, there'd been nobody here right now. We can't all do everything, but we can do what we can. And in the area of what we can, there's something very powerful in that. And this woman is so powerful. I love those three little things. Sorry about the three Bs here, but just, uh, uh, this, this, this was the sort of woman she was. She found him. She, she, she found in him her blessing. She brought to him her burdens, and she gave to him her best. And I think this new season that we're moving into, that's all God's asking for you, that you find in him your blessing, that you bring to him your burdens, and you just give to him your best. And here's the last little point. She done all that she could in sacrifice. She done all that she could to serve, and she did all that she could to surrender. 
You see, in Jesus' day, they didn't sit at the table to eat their meals, all right? They didn't sit around the table like you and I did. There's a funny big name, and I can't pronounce it for what they did. But this is a sort of idea of what they would have done. They lay there, probably the one to the left there, where they would have reclined like on a cushion on the floor, and they would have lay down towards the table. When the Bible says they reclined to eat, all right? So they would have lay sort of front down or on a side, and that's the way they ate. And um, so you think of the atmosphere in this room. It was all men around the table. And in comes this woman, and, and she's kneeling at his feet. And John actually tells us she anointed his feet and dried them with her hair. Again, it's, without getting into the whole arguments, there's loads of arguments that they could be different. It's probably the exact same thing that John and Mark and Matthew all tell us about. And, and she's anointing him his feet, she's anointing his head, she's doing it all, and, and, and she's telling everyone in the room that she's totally surrendered. She's, she's, there's, like, there's no embarrassment in her. She's, just, she's making a massive statement of love and worship. And here's the interesting thing, actually, in what she was doing. In, in, in this day, there were four people, there were four types of people that you anointed. There were kings, priests, prophets and the dead. There's the scriptures from the Old Testament. And those are the type of, those are the four types of people that would God anointed. And when Mary was doing this, I, I was so blessed this week studying this because Mary, I think Mary got what the guys missed. I think Mary had picked up because you see three times actually you read about Mary in the gospels and all three times she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. I can give you the references. All three times. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think because she was a, a, a person who sat at the feet of Jesus, she picked up more than anybody else picked. They were all serving the poor, doing their ministry. But she picked something up. And in the moment she anointed his head and his feet with oil, here's what she was saying. She was saying, he's the king of kings. She was saying, he's the great high priest. She was saying, he is the eternal prophet. She was saying, he was dead, but he is alive forevermore. And in some shape or form, I wonder, did she know that she was never going to be able to anoint his dead body? <laughs> so she was going to do it now, before he died. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful what this woman caught. And there's something about this extravagant act of worship that God is calling us to today. And, 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 and I think that sometimes we can just reduce our worship to something that we want to do, something that's in our comfort zone, rather than actually reaching out and, and getting beyond it. And I think that's what God is calling us to um, in this September season. The guys are going to come just as a, a finish and, and lead us with a song, Stevie and Chloe, if you'd do that. And um, I wanted to challenge you just as we close about as we go into this season um, with much happening, contend is our new prayer theme for every other Wednesday night. I'd love, I'd love, what about between now and Christmas you threw that Wednesday night prayer meeting in your diary in pen, not in pencil, but in pen. Some of you have never probably been to it and I know there's all kinds of reasons for that and family commitments and all of that, but I'd love you between now and Christmas to commit all right, to surrender to it and, and to give all and come. Next 
Sunday night, we're going to the Brownlow Leisure Center, six o'clock. We're doing something we've never done before, Cara and Shalom and Portadown and Lurgan, all coming together to celebrate. I'd love you all to come to that. That's going to be such a night of celebration, stories. We're going to listen to stories of people who have done loads of different things. But, but I'm just asking that you, could, could this season, could you think of how you could ramp it up a little bit in the area of sacrifice? Could you think about how you could serve maybe a little bit more and how you could surrender all? You see, the story's told of uh, four brothers who were having a feast and um, they decided that they would share the cost and knowing that wine was very expensive, they, they said that they would each bring their, their selected quota of wine and they'd pour it all into the, the churn, all their wine into the churn and then they would all give and one of the brothers was quite stingy and he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll just fill my bottles with water. And I'll put them in and when they go in, it'll just water down the wine. Nobody will ever know the difference. The problem was all four brothers brought water. <laughs> and sometimes if we think somebody else will do it, well, you know, well, I'll not really put myself down for worship because Steve and Chloe, somebody else will do it. I'll... There's loads and kids, and there's loads and welcome team and tea and toast. There's loads of people helping Nicola. I can tell you there's not. There's some incredible volunteers. And we're, but, you know, if we, if we just think everybody else does it, then we'll end up with everybody will just bring water, and there'll be no wine. Stories told of a pig and a chicken. They were walking along the road, and one said to the other, what about opening a restaurant? And... The other one said, well, that's a great idea. What would we call it? And the chicken says, what about calling it ham and eggs? And the pig says, oh, that's all right for you. <laughs> that's just an involvement for you. <laughs> it's a sacrifice for me. And so, so my question to you this season as we hit September, is it bacon or eggs? <laughs> is it going to be bacon or eggs? Is this going to be the involvement do what I can. Don't get too guilty about what you can't. And we're not trying to put guilt on you. Or is it, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to smash this box and give everything to the last ounce to my king and my master. Let's stand to worship. Can I say this just as we... I'm going to sing a song called My Living Hope. No, we were singing. And um, can I just say... Um, one of the things I've done over the years, from my 20s really, I've, I've always th thought, planned in decades, I've planned and so and just recently I put a, a plan towards the elders for the next decade, with some thinking my age of what I feel I, I have the energy to give. And it made me think when I did that, it made me think that, well, when you think in decades, when you hit my decade now, you, you make, makes you realize you need to get this one right, because you know, the next one and the next one, hopefully there will be another couple, but um, they, start to, they start to make you realize that we don't have as much time as we really think we have. And that's why I, I just sense that God's doing something. This season's going to be so different. And, and I would hit, we've never wanted this church to be a church of consumer mentality where you just come and get. I don't want that to, to come over. I want you to feel that this is your church. 
We did that with, a, with your kids that they could feel this is, this is my church. And I would love you to feel that you could bring your, what your giftings and your service to it. So let's worship together, then I'll pray, and then our time's over. Thanks. Let's. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk